Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd Team. I am your host as always, Josh Larkey, the Director of Fantasy and Betting at the 33rd Team, and I'm on Twitter at Tweets. Joined with me as always, my co-host, the Associate Director of Fantasy and Betting at the 33rd Team, Ryan Reynolds, at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Today, we are going to be going rapid fire through teams that we don't like, teams that we like for fantasy football and why. And we'll discuss why the team environment is important. And then after that, we have player takes for the people. We'll discuss some fantasy players at quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end that we don't like. And we'll finish with players at those positions that we do like, elaborating on each of those stances. I think everyone's going to enjoy this show. It's going to be rapid fire. Let's talk some fantasy football. Ryan. Tell me about the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I mean, the move from Derek Carter to Jimmy Garoppolo is a parallel move at absolute best. I think we'd both probably agree that it's at least a slight downgrade. One thing that's problematic here is Jimmy Garoppolo's benefited from playing behind top 10 offensive lines his whole career. The Raiders are in a different bolt. They're more in the 20s, more of a volatile pass protection unit. Josh McDaniels has familiarity with Garoppolo, so that's probably a plus to a, to an extent, but as you'll discuss here, the tools on the Raiders offense are narrow. A lot of people are very into Josh Jacobs this year. I will admit, I didn't know. Nobody really seemed to know that that was in his range of outcomes last year. Amazing performance. But we're projecting for 2023, not last year. Jacobs, 393 touches last year. The fifth most by a running back over the past decade. Essentially, unless you're a Hall of Fame caliber running back, you're not going to play very well the year after. All we need is evidence. Think about last season. We saw it with Najee Harris, with Jonathan Taylor. The guys that get nearly 400 touches the year before, almost always something happens the year after if the team forces a similar workload. Like Ryan said, the offensive line's a little questionable. Josh Jacobs is probably not the right pick in the, the second round of your fantasy draft. And then with Devontae Adams, Ryan and I are probably going to be a little below the market on him. He turns 31 during the season. I understand that he performed with Derek Carr. However, they played together in college. Garoppolo is a downgrade. How many different quarterbacks will Adams be able to play with when I think this will be the worst offensive system potentially that he's played in his whole career with Garoppolo? Hunter Renfro, Jacoby Myers do not inspire all that much confidence playing alongside of him. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons, who have the easiest schedule in the NFL this season. If you go to the 33rdteam.com, go to the betting homepage, you will be able to see the win total projections that Ryan and I put out along with strength of schedule, the Falcons are the clear cut uh, easiest schedule that they face. But, but let's talk about the team itself now. Falcons have a top 10 type offensive line, which gives the, their offense a very good foundation. Offensive line play basically dictates what an offense can even try. If you have stable pass protection, you can take more shots downfield. If you have unreliable pass protection, it changes how you can call plays. Uh, on that front, Arthur Smith deployed a very, very run-centric offense last year. On the positive side, he does like play action. And another thing that's positive for Desmond Ritter, who I think we'd say is, you know, bottom five quarterback in the league, most likely. Arthur Smith did get a tremendous play out of Ryan Tannehill for several, several years when they were in Tennessee together. The Falcons are the perfect case for why team building and roster construction matters for both real football and fantasy. They have three straight seasons of taking a top eight skill position player in the NFL draft, Kyle Pitts, then Drake London, then Bijan Robinson. And we're still just not super excited about this team because of the conductor Desmond Ritter. I think for fantasy football, Kyle Pitts and Drake London should go a whole lot closer together. 
You can look at any advanced stat, target share, targets per route run, average depth of target, yards per route run, and you start to feel like these guys aren't all that much different. However, Kyle Pitts, at the very least, can be put into your tight end slot, even though he essentially plays receiver like Drake London. Ryan, what do you want to add about Kyle Pitts? I mean, I think this is true for a lot of fantasy enthusiasts like ourselves. Kyle Pitts is kind of a unicorn athlete at the position. Like you said, he's more of a wide receiver than a tight end. If there's one thing I could ask for fantasy purposes this year is for Arthur Smith to please treat Kyle Pitts appropriately for all of us. I, I think we we are all hoping for yeah. that. And I think for those people out there that talk about natural regression with the pass offense, they'll probably throw more than 25 times per game like last year. However, this is a team that took running back Bijan Robinson at pick eight and will have Desmond Ritter at quarterback. We'll need to temper overall volume expectations in this passing game. A team that I think is on the precipitous decline is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> yeah, we, when we did our tears, we got a lot of flack for being a, a little bearish on Tampa Bay. You know, I don't know how anyone could be super enthusiastic about Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask at quarterback. You know, you had Tom Brady last year. Your offense didn't really function. I could see that very easily happening this year. On the positive side from that, they bring in a new offensive coordinator in Dave Canales from Seattle. He worked wonders with Geno Smith. Maybe he pulls off some magic with Baker Mayfield and puts his career back on track. Tampa's offensive line has some good players, but they also have some clear liabilities, which, again, for players like Baker and Trash that are pocket passers, that that is not a good thing in my opinion. Only the Los Angeles Rams, who lost Matthew Stafford, who lost Cooper Cup, who lost Allen Robinson, who lost their O-line due to injuries. Only the Rams scored fewer points last year than the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers are having one of the steepest quarterback downgrades to a Baker or a Trask. It's why we're slightly concerned with all the position players and why you probably won't see Ryan and I banging the table for a Rashad White due to volume or Mike Evans or Chris Godwin due to volume. They're going to pass significantly less than they did with Brady. This whole offense is definitely one that you should not try and be overweight on in fantasy football. And what Ryan referred to with the tiers, go back and listen. The 33rd Team Podcast Network on Apple or Spotify. Go back to that episode where we discussed team tiers. Ryan and I ran through all 32 teams. It's what powered our win totals is how we viewed each team. And you'll learn why we had them in the lowest tier and why in the betting markets. They have the second lowest odds after the Cardinals to win this year's Super Bowl. All right, we survived. The negativity is over. Ryan, we're going to talk about a few teams we like. You know I'm a San Diego guy. Many of the listeners do as well. I grew up rooting for the San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers. Why are we optimistic about them this season? I mean, again, solid foundation. They have a, at least a fringe top 10 offensive line with Slater back at left tackle. He missed most of last year. Dude, do I believe it was a torn peck. Justin Herbert's a prime positive regression candidate. He played most of last year with a torn cartilage in his rib cage. That sounds brutal. I think I'd be on the shelf, you know, for talking on this podcast if that happened to me today. So he's also kind of like a little undervalued, so to speak. Like he's in that burrow. He's in that Trevor Lawrence cluster of in terms of talent. So the sky's the limit for him. And I'm very excited to see what Kellen Moore does with the Chargers skill position players. In this particular, when he was in Dallas, he always had pretty good opponent-specific game plans. And in particular, when the Cowboys lost the game, they always had a very good game plan the week after. So that's something I'm sincerely looking forward to this year. All the Cowboys did under offensive coordinator Kellen Moore was have the number one and then number four scoring offenses over the past two seasons. And I think we'd both agree that on paper, what the Chargers have right now looks a lot better. And this bodes very well for the receiving core. Notice that I said receiving core. 
I think there's reasons to be optimistic about a Keenan Allen, a Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston. Any of them could pop in this system. I think we, we'd both lean towards Allen and Quentin Johnston slightly at ADP, but I don't think you should fade any of these Chargers pass catchers. Gerald Everett, a nice late round dart throw at tight end. With Austin Eckler, he still goes quite early. I would not say fully fade the man, but if you look at his reception spike last season that fueled a lot of his fantasy points, it occurred when there was no Allen or when there was no Mike Williams. Now bringing in Quentin Johnston, still having Josh Palmer as your wide receiver four, it will make it very difficult for injuries to ransack the receiving core enough that Eckler becomes the offense's top target like he was for about half of last season. Let's turn to the Seahawks. This is a team that we are just simply too high on it many times. Why are we so high on the Seattle Seahawks for 2023? I mean, back in February we were, when we were placing long shot bets on them, it was because they were a playoff team last year. They had two first round picks, two second round picks, plenty of cap room, good team able to take a step forward forward from a talent perspective, and that's what they've done. On top of that, we're looking at Geno Smith, who I think, you know, in the entire time that I've been watching and betting on football, I'm not sure I've ever been more surprised with a player season than Geno Smith last year. It was absolutely remarkable. So I don't think we can completely count on that being repeated this year. But if it is, Seahawks have a good foundation with their offensive line. They're at least a league average unit. And obviously we saw that the, the play calling worked last year for Geno. Seahawks are a great team to be high on. Geno Smith is at least competent. They have Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet in the backfield. Kenneth Walker, the home run hitter. Charbonnet, more well-rounded overall. Both have second-round draft capital. DK Metcalf is one of the NFL's best receivers. This is an alpha. I'd say he's the tiniest bit of a tier down below an A.J. Brown type. Tyler Lockett, he's nearing the end of his career. He's still fantastic. And then you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, who they took in the first round, that will now be playing in the slot. They've historically played a lot of uh, 12 personnel, meaning that there's two tight ends on the field. We both think they're going to play a lot more 11 personnel, which is essentially that there's going to be more three wide receiver sets to accommodate the fact that you now have Metcalf, Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. No offense to tight end. I think we'd say that there's going to be significantly less Will Disley this season. Let's now move on to the Miami Dolphins. Why are we excited about the Miami Dolphins? Will... I know that people say that Tua simply cannot stay healthy, and I'm no doctor, but I'm pretty sure that the least injury-riddled position in fantasy is quarterback, so it seems a little bit funny that that's the one we'd be so concerned about. Yeah, I mean, we at least have to pay attention to it, but I'm with you. He's a pocket passer. Things happen in football. Very physical game, but I don't necessarily think like, oh, he's not gonna he's gonna miss half the season this year. I, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion at all. We saw that he can play last year, too, when things are, you know, they have a very good roster. Their offensive line, Taron Armstead's a very good lead tackle, but the rest of their offensive line is kind of a middling group. So we're talking average below average there. I'd say that's a weakness of the team. But I love Mike McDaniel, innovative play caller, and they're trying to break the wheel with stacking speed on their on the offensive side of the ball as well. They, this could very well be the NFL's most exciting offense. I don't say that hyperbolically. When healthy, Tua Tagovailoa averaged 8.9 yards per pass attempt, nearly a full yard per pass attempt more than any other quarterback in the NFL, nearly a full yard higher than Patrick Mahomes last season. We have Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, two of the NFL's fastest wide receivers. They're going to go in the first two rounds of fantasy football, and deservedly so. And then we have rookie third-round pick Devin A. Chain at running back. It is a bit of a cloudy backfield, 
since Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are there. I think Ryan and I would both advocate just drafting all three of them, not necessarily on the same fantasy team, but you're going to want some exposure to all of them until it becomes more clear what the pecking order is because they're all relatively inexpensive. And this is exactly the type of offense you want to be in on. One where it's speed on speed on speed. And where last year in their first year with Mike McDaniel's scheme, they were the most efficient passing offense in football. Let's now turn towards some players that we don't like in fantasy football. And before we do that, just a reminder, please like, subscribe, five-star the 33rd Team Podcast Network on Apple or Spotify. It helps us keep podcasts like this free. Ryan and I have to keep a roof over our head somehow. We have to eat our meatball parms somehow. We're going to start at the quarterback position with Joe Burrow. We love the Bengals, but when you look at Joe Burrow, a non-mobile good passer, he looks a lot like a Justin Herbert and a Trevor Lawrence, both of whom go several rounds later in fantasy football. Ryan, when should we be taking Joe Burrow in fantasy football? This is a fascinating question because I actually think Joe Burrow is going to be the MVP of the league this year, but I'm with you on this where right now he's going in the middle of the fourth round, generally speaking, where I don't necessarily think that's bad, but like you said, you can get Herbert in the fifth, you can get Trevor Lawrence in the sixth, you can get Deshaun Watson in the eighth. Just from a cost perspective, I'm not going out of my way to target him unless I have Jamar Chase. Make sure that you're stacking your quarterbacks. For those that want the quick rundown on stacking, think of it like this. If I told you that Joe Burrow threw for 5,000 yards and 45 touchdown passes, all right, there it is. Do you think Jamar Chase had a good season? Yes, he is probably having a fantastic season. If Jamar Chase is struggling, injured, whatever happens, Joe Burrow is not going to be awesome in real life or fantasy football. That correlation is going to be so tight, especially with the former college teammates who have done nothing but be incredibly efficient in high scoring at the NFL level. Jamar Chase, our dark horse pick to be the first player off the board in fantasy football drafts. Let's now turn to the running back position. Jonathan Taylor is someone to be quite concerned about. I think of him kind of like 2022 Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was fine in fantasy football. Over 1,200 rushing yards, 11 rushing touchdowns, stayed healthy all season, 15 carries a game. Taylor's probably going to get a, more of a workload than that in the run game. But the reason that Miles Sanders didn't really win fantasy leagues, he was the RB16 per game. His passing role was very minimal. And with a mobile Anthony Richardson, it's likely that Jonathan Taylor is not racking up a high amount of receptions per game. How do you view the Colts offensive line and Richardson's fit for 2023? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. The Colts offensive line underachieved a little bit last year, but I'd say that they have the raw materials to be a league average unit, if not a fringe top 10 unit, if everything goes according to plan. Something we have to keep in mind with Taylor is, you know, new offensive system now, new head coach. And like you said, with Anthony Richardson, I think that will open up lanes for Taylor in the run game, but Richardson's going to poach some of his scoring zone opportunities. So Taylor's touchdowns could be down a little bit. And also, like you said, the passing game volume with a mo mobile quarterback. I mean, that's that's very, very concerning for fantasy purposes. And like we saw with Jalen Hurts last year in Philly, which is where Steichen comes from, the Colts' new head coach, that's not exactly something they're going out of their way to do with their offense. Another player we will have fewer shares than the average drafter is Miles Sanders at the running back position. Miles Sanders, if you look at how he did in fantasy football last year, you would have said, hey, I probably would have taken him in the fifth round. Well, guess what? He goes in the fifth round this year. But he is no longer on an Eagles team with maybe the NFL's best offensive line from last year, with overall the best rushing attack in the NFL from last year. The Panthers have a good line. They're probably going to be fairly efficient running the ball. 
Jalen Hurts and Bryce Young are not the same quarterback. This is a significant downgrade in overall fit. We just simply have no idea how they're going to use Miles Sanders, but I can tell you this much. He is not going to be a total full bell cow in year five of his NFL career. So at that fifth round price tag at this point, it seems like people are not realizing what the Panthers offense will look like compared to the Eagles last season. Do you have anything to add on Miles Sanders before we move on to a third running back that we are just not excited about? No, I see it the same way. Another thing I'll add, though, is the Eagles wide receiver duo of A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith is something every defense they play has to be concerned about. The Carolina Panthers don't have that asset. So if, say, like Carolina's having a strong game on the ground, they can they can move people in the box more often, too. So I'm out on Sanders as well at his current cost. Yeah, it turns out Adam Thielen, uh, DJ Chark, maybe it's a hot take, but they are not at the same level of A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. Hayden Hurst. Not at the same level <laughs> as Dallas Goddard. I say that in a, as I'm laughing because it sounds hilarious that people keep making these parallels and expect Sanders 2022 to just magically happen again in Carolina. The last guy that we're less excited about is Joe Mixon. There's a lot of uncertainty in this situation. There's the legal issues. I think what to focus on, though, is that Joe Mixon simply might not be very good at football anymore. And that could really affect his touches per game. We even saw this last season. Samaje Pirine actually outsnapped him in two of the three playoff games they were in last year. Joe Mixon is a player on the decline with injury and character issues. He's very expensive. We don't know what's going to happen with him leading up to week one. And while it's a little bit of a confusing who the RB2 is, it does feel like this is not a player that we should be particularly excited about in fantasy football. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll add to that is down the stretch last year, Samaje Pirine looked like the better player to Joe Mixon. So I don't know if that was injury related. He did have a huge spike game. I believe it was against the Panthers last year. So, you know, there's at least some chance that he's still still a quality player. But he looked like he looked like a you know guy on his way out of the league towards the end of last year. So I'm definitely concerned. Kind of surprised they haven't cut him. I think uh, another way that we can think about this is Leonard Fournette or Kareem Hunt or Ezekiel Elliott goes there you're suddenly petrified about Mixon's workload. I think that's very important to recognize where a guy like that goes to Cleveland. We're simply not particularly concerned that this is the guy who's stealing all the valuable work from Nick Chubb. That's why the the talent of Mixon, especially this point of the offseason, really does matter. There are some wide receivers that we also do not like. Debo Samuel is uh, looking like quite a bad fantasy pick in the third round of fantasy drafts. He's played four seasons in the NFL. Three of those four years, he averaged 13 or fewer PPR points per game. One of those years, he averaged 21 fantasy points per game. That was two seasons ago in 2021 when he averaged over 18 yards per reception and when he had 59 rush attempts for eight touchdowns. To put that into perspective, Travis Etienne had five times as many touches last year with only five total touchdowns. Debo's uh, fewer than 60 rush attempts, eight touchdowns is simply outrageous and you're still paying the fantasy draft cost for that insane rushing season that is almost certainly never happening again. Do you have anything to add on here to what looks like potentially the wide receiver three in this offense between behind Ayuk and Kittle, and maybe we could even say wide receiver four behind Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, I think see, I think Samuel's a quality player, but like you said, target competition's a concern. And with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell in the backfield, they don't have to give him carries now. Where a couple of years ago, he was the playmaker on the team in the backfield. They kind of forced themselves into that. 
I could see Debo Samuel having better usage in the playoffs than in the regular season. Another player we're, we're not super excited about in fantasy football would be George Pickens. I actually really struggle to see how in your, your office fantasy football league, you are starting Pickens with confidence in your receiver slot. Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth command significantly more targets per route run. Essentially, this means that Pickens is going to be a lower volume receiver and you're going to need touchdowns. That brings us to Kenny Pickett. And unfortunately, this Steelers offense does not project to have a lot of passing touchdowns. It becomes a little bit tough to thread the needle with George Pickens. And Deontay Johnson is almost certainly not going to have 140 targets and zero receiving touchdowns once again. Do you have anything to add on to Pickens? You know, pretty much see it the same way. I really like Pickens as a player, where if he was in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, I'd be pretty excited about him. But like you, I'm very concerned about his volume. The offense is probably going to be middling at best. And, you know, middling, middling can even be fine, but I'm not really looking for the third option in like a league average offense. One player that's going to be a popular sleeper in your fantasy football leagues, people say, oh, grab him with the last pick, stash him on your bench. New York Giants, third round rookie Jalen Hyatt. I think that's a bunch of baloney. This is not someone that you should be drafting in your managed fantasy football leagues in those first 15 rounds. Ryan, why should people still at least have some exposure to him, though, in best ball. Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of his current cost, but the Giants went out of their way to stack speed this offseason by drafting Hyatt, signing Paris Campbell, re-signing Darius Slayton, trading for Darren Waller, even bringing in Jamison Crowder, who's more of a separation player than anything else. So that they're interested in that, but they have a deep enough wide receiver group where they don't need to rush a rookie into the fold. I think he's going to see limited playing time early. That's probably going to grow as the season increases. So for redrafts, it's leagues like you said he's a waiver wire guy to keep your eye on but i wouldn't draft him either let's move on to tight end this might surprise some people very popular tight end pick he's always the second tight end off the board it is mark andrews he usually goes in the second or third round i don't even have too much of a problem necessarily with him being the second ish tight end off the board it's more so just how early he is going remember this is an offense that is run by lamar jackson neither of us believe that this is one of the nfl's premier passers even with a new offensive coordinator who might be pass heavier, again, it is still Lamar Jackson. There's going to be times when the, the pocket collapses and he runs rather than trying to make the throw. And then Mark Andrews is surrounded by a very competent group of receivers for once. It's going to be really tough for him to have a 25 to 30% target share when he's playing with Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, and new first round rookie Zay Flowers. It's most likely that Andrews' target share is going to hover closer to 20 to 22%. And in a lower volume offense, that is simply not going to get it done at his draft cost in fantasy football. Do you have anything to add on to the Ravens' new offensive scheme and Andrew's outlook? Yeah, the one thing that I'm going to point out that you said is, while the better group of wide receivers is a positive for Lamar Jackson, it is a negative for Andrews, who's really never had a lot of competition for targets until now. I mean, Hollywood Brown was a threat, obviously, but now they have like a deep group, so I'm concerned there. And the other thing I'll say is, even if the Ravens throw the ball at 20, 20% more than they did last year, and Jackson's production kind of like coincides with that rise, if you took his highest output from a yardage standpoint and added 20% on top of it, you're still looking at like 3,700, 3,800 yards passing. Like, that's not very exciting to me. Let's turn to some players we do like in fantasy football. At the quarterback position, there's been kind of a big three that's happened where it's generally going... Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and then Jalen Hurts. We have Jalen Hurts firmly as our quarterback one. I wouldn't say that I'm 100% supremely confident he finishes quarterback one, but what I mean by firmly quarterback one is that 
the Jalen Hurts fantasy profile simply looks better than Allen and Mahomes. Jalen Hurts runs a lot more than both of them, and he still offers quite viable production through the air. I think we'd both agree that the, the supporting cast of Jalen Hurts is simply much better even than what's going on in Buffalo than what's going on in Kansas City. Having the great offensive line, having DeAndre Swift in the backfield, having A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard as your pass-catching weapons. Are there any reasons to be concerned about Jalen Hurts? Since right now it seems like there's nothing but positives for why he's the best fantasy quarterback. I mean, one thing that I think you could take as a positive or a negative is last year they benefited from a very easy schedule. And as we heard Joe Banner say, Philly purposely throws early and runs late when they can. This year their schedule is much harder, so they're probably going to be in a lot more neutral, if not negative, game scripts. I think that's all positive for Hertz. Let's move on to Daniel Jones. Ryan, why have you simply not stopped drafting him in best ball? And why is this an interesting late round pick if you can't get any of the early quarterbacks in your fantasy football office league? I mean, last year you could get Justin Fields in the 13th round, who is a dual threat quarterback. That's not really the case this year. Daniel Jones is kind of where the line ends. So how many quarterbacks in the league can rush for 80 yards and two touchdowns on the ground? I mean, five, six, maybe seven. He's last of that group. So when I can't get one of the top guys, he's the guy I take as kind of a consolation prize. There is someone we do like to stack Daniel Jones with. We'll talk about that player fairly shortly. But first, let's discuss the running back position. Everyone seems to hate the Texans. Damian Pierce has no draft capital. He was taken in the fourth round last year. He was really good for six weeks, and then he kind of fizzled out. So why why the heck are we not just fading someone with Damian Pierce's profile for 2023 fantasy football? I mean, there's three reasons for me. Devin Singletary is currently the running back two. He doesn't strike me as an enormous threat. Reason number two is the Texans with the addition of Shaq Mason. They now have an elite tackle, Laramie Tunsil too. Two other first round picks that could take a leap on their offensive line. If in a best case scenario, that's a top 10 group. And then on top of that, CJ Stroud, while he has some mobility, he's more of a traditional pocket passer. So dump offs to running backs are in play here too. I would think that Damian Pierce is at least going to get the lion's share of the workload in Houston this year. We're also very in on David Montgomery. Best ball, your, your managed redraft league, whatever it is, this is a phenomenal pick. It sounds crazy. This has never been someone that we've necessarily loved drafting when he goes in the third, fourth round of fantasy football. But suddenly, he finds himself on the best offense of his career with the Detroit Lions. We all saw what Jamal Williams did last year. I don't think Montgomery's rushing for 18 touchdowns like Williams did, but Williams had zero receiving role last year. Montgomery's actually a very competent receiver. It was always very clear between him and Khalil Herbert who the better receiver was. It was Montgomery. And uh, I don't know what we're missing. The guy has 1,100 to 1,500 total yards and six to 10 touchdowns every year with the Chicago Bears. Four straight years of him being very competent for fantasy football. A better team. Why are people terrified of him? Jameer Gibbs is awesome. Great. I love that he was drafted with the 12th overall pick, but again, he is a rookie 199 pound running back. If you think he's the clear and obvious favorite for goal line work over someone who's 25 pounds heavier in Montgomery, you're most likely sorely mistaken. Why else should we like David Montgomery? Lions have a top 10 offensive line. I wouldn't quite call them a run centric offense, but they're more run centric than most offenses in the league. You know, and like you said, with Gibbs size, Gibbs is a dynamic playmaker, but I think we'd both bet on Montgomery leading the team in carries, barring injuries. And like you said, he has a he, you know, he's a viable pass catcher too. On most of my teams, I try to target him as my third running back. He's almost the ideal third running back for me currently. 
Yeah, I think he he's a pretty perfect fit into builds where the receivers that go where Montgomery goes are simply not that exciting. And Montgomery looks like he can pretty easily finish in the RB2 range no matter what. And then if Jameer Gibbs should go down, we, we've already seen how many fantasy points this backfield can have. We've already seen league winner David Montgomery when he was on the Bears and he gets a full workload. There's very few outcomes outside of injury where he's not hitting or exceeding his ADP. And then finally, let's talk about the Bills backfield. Why do we like Damian Harris and not like James Cook? Yeah, I've just, when he came out, I wasn't a big fan of James Cook. I thought he was overdrafted. Uh, with Harris, Harris is the best running back that Josh Allen's ever played with, at least in terms of a pure runner. And there's two things here that I think benefit Harris, bar, with the exception that if Buffalo signs Dalvin Cook, this all blows up. But Josh Allen threw a lot of interceptions last year, and a lot of them came in the red zone. And he's even said himself that he needs to start taking less contact. That means to me, Harris gets more carries in the scoring zone. I think 10, 15 type touchdown upside is on the table here with Harris. I would also add that Josh Allen's never really thrown to the running back position. Some people say it's because Josh Allen doesn't like to target running backs. Others say it's because he doesn't have a good running back. Well, guess what? Josh Allen is still the quarterback and James Cook simply did not command very many targets last year. James Cook had about a 6% target share last year. Damian Harris also had about a 6% target share recently. So for, for people to tell me that Cook's the receiving back and he's, all this work is going to happen, we didn't really see it last year. And like Ryan said, the college profile suggested, I think everyone on draft day was surprised that this was a round two talent. And I think the ADP simply reflects that people are still too anchored in James Cook's draft capital and not anchored enough that this guy simply looked like a backup running back throughout almost all of last season. Let's now turn to the receiver position. We love Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had more targets per game last year than Justin Jefferson. Jamar Chase has a better quarterback in Joe Burrow than Justin Jefferson's Kirk Cousins. Jamar Chase has less target competition than Justin Jefferson. I think Higgins and Boyd is less scary than Hawkinson and Jordan Addison. I mean, Jamar Chase is faster than Justin Jefferson. We've seen the breakaway speed. At this point, should people think of Jamar Chase as the wide receiver one in fantasy football. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's quite a slam dunk that, you know, I don't want to go on that ledge yet, but I'll tell you this, I'm a high volume best ball player. And not only do I think about taking Jamar Chase first overall, I do it pretty often. And the only reason I don't do it all the time is because I don't want to have zero exposure to Justin Jefferson. So I do think I would put Chase at the top of the food chain, but it is close. Yeah, I remember telling Ryan that I take Ch Jefferson first, Jamar Chase second, because that's what the market often dictates. And... After we talked more, I decided, you know what? I should probably look into Chase more. And the more I looked, the more I thought, you know what? It really doesn't quite make sense that we've just decided because of the 2022 season that Jefferson is just the clear better pick than Chase. Another receiver that we really like that goes very early that we'd recommend targeting in the early second round is Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson had over 1,100 receiving yards last year as a rookie playing with three different quarterbacks, Joe Flacco, Mike White, Zach Wilson. They are all below average options. Again, 1,100 yards as a rookie playing with bad quarterbacks. All 17 games of those of that uh, pretty underwhelming triumvirate are now replaced with Aaron Rodgers. There's not really a clear, good second option in this past game. Alan Lazard, Tyler Conklin, Corey Davis, not super exciting. We have Brees Hall who's recovering from injury. It at least seems like in the beginning of the year and as their rapport builds, Garrett Wilson will be the focal point of this pass game. 
How do you see Aaron Rodgers transitioning to the New York Jets? I mean, not only is Wilson the clear top option of this offense, from a skill set perspective, he kind of reminds me of Devontae Adams. And as we all know, Devontae Adams absolutely crushed it in Green Bay with Rodgers. So that lack of tar I won't even say lack of target competition. I'll say lack of elite target competition. Plus that, that you know, the technician, the route runner. Rodgers is very big on timing patterns, and Wilson can create separation on those kind of things. So I... I'm probably higher than consensus on Wilson right now. And I, I see that continuing into the, in the opening day. Another player that we really like. And before I'll say the name, I'll say this, Ryan, have you ever played in a fantasy league where whoever has the most fantasy points after week six gets all the money? I have not. Neither have I. And that's the exact reason why you should be drafting as your late round receiver, Jameson Williams of the Detroit lions. Jameson Williams is suspended for six games. Oh, that's, that's so unfortunate until you realize no fantasy leagues award prizes for whoever has the most fantasy points through week six. We want to win all the money, and that generally happens in week 17. The fantasy playoffs are often quarterfinals and semifinals in weeks 15 and 16. Jameson Williams is fully recovered from his college injury. He's going to have his six-game suspension, and then he's going to slide right into that wide receiver two role alongside Amon Ross St. Brown. To me, it feels like a perfect pairing. Amon Ross St. Brown works the short to intermediate middle part of the field, you have Jameson Williams outside stretching the defense. Are there any reasons to think that he won't be able to uh, produce as the, the receiver two here? Since I understand he was moderately used in his rookie year. I have to think that's mostly injury related, right? Yeah. I mean, the Lions spent, I think it was the 12th overall pick on him. He was, he was definitely an early round pick or an early first round pick, despite having a torn ACL where he was going to miss most of his rookie year. Clearly the organization thinks very highly of him. And on top of that, something like that is Brandon Cooks had a lot of success with Jared Goff when they were both with the Rams. Jamison Williams, from a skill set perspective and a talent perspective, is at least Brandon Cooks. So like you said, too, I think him and Almiron St. Brown cover a lot of ground cumulatively, skill set wise. So perfect combo. Very interested to see what happens long term with him. Let's now turn to the tight end position. There's only three tight ends out there in fantasy football land that clearly look like the team's number one pass game option. Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs, of course. Mark Andrews with the Ravens. Yes, we, we all know this. Uh, we're not extremely excited about Andrews, as we mentioned, due to the low pass volume, but I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't lead that team in targets. Kelsey goes round one. Andrews usually goes early round three. And then there's one guy who should also be the number one option for a half-decent offense, and you can get him in the seventh, eighth round. And that is Darren Waller. Darren Waller feels like the type of guy that could finish as the tight end two behind Travis Kelsey where you simply say, hey, this guy gets a 22 to 25% target share from Daniel Jones. The offense gets a little better. We know Waller has game-breaking speed for the tight end position. You're a Giants fan. How do you view the way that Dable and company will use him in year one in that system? So that's what that's the exciting factor for me, because you could argue that, well, Ingram, Evan Ingram didn't have a lot of success with Daniel Jones, and he was a dynamic athlete, where with that Dable and Kafka, they're very self-aware game planners, very opponent-specific. Waller's easily the biggest mismatch they have outside of Saquon Barkley and their skill group. So I don't think they're just going to have them run up the seam. They're going to be opponent-specific. If a team's slow at linebacker, they're going to make them chase Darren Waller. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sh quite sure I'm there at him being tight end two overall in the season. But if he cracks the top five and has some massive spike weeks, it wouldn't be surprising even the slightest. There's two late round tight ends that we think are interesting. One of them, regardless of scoring format, the other one, more of a PPR option. We'll start with regards to the scoring format. We are both Tyler Conklin guys. 
as we mentioned, it's 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 pretty unclear after Garrett Wilson how the the target pecking order shapes up. It's probably Alan Lazard, maybe it's it's Corey Davis. Tyler Conklin's very consistent. Ninth most targets at the tight end position over the past two seasons. Exactly 87 targets on the dot each of those past two years. He kind of feels like a free 60 receptions, 700 yards, five to eight touchdowns type player where it seems like he he's probably going to finish in the top 15. And I think he has a real shot to be like the, the tight end eight or tight end nine in fantasy football if Aaron Rodgers gives him some of those touchdown looks. What do you see as the expectations for him and how Rodgers has utilized tight ends throughout his career? So again, I'm more of a film guy than a data guy. And Tyler Conklin's one of those guys where when I first watched him, I was surprised at how how good of an athlete he is. I actually think either either Conklin or Drew Michael Finley is the best tight end that Aaron, at least the most athletic tight end that Aaron Rodgers ever played for. And like you said, the the option behind Garrett Wilson for the secondary uh, pass catcher for the for the New York Jets this year is pretty wide open. Not sure Conklin quite fits into that role, but I think he has tremendous upside with Rodgers. Tell us why we should at least have Trey McBride on our radar. Mackey Award winner. DeAndre Hopkins is out of town, so there's target opportunities that just open up. Zach Ertz is on the old side, and he's hurt. Colt McCoy, a tight end's a bad. I don't, you know, I don't even want to call Colt McCoy a bad tight end or bad quarterback because he's a very good backup. But a tight end's a bad quarterback's best friend. I'm not going crazy on Trey McBride, and I'm not going to use my Irish accent on this guy either because I botched it the last time with Pat Terrain. <laughs> but in a PPR league, getting him at the back end of the draft, I think there's pretty interesting upside there. Before I ask Ryan one pressing final question reminder like subscribe five star the podcast the 33rd team podcast network on apple and spotify go to the 33rd team.com check out all of our content you can find ryan reynolds work there and on twitter at ryan reynolds nfl and you can find my work on the 33rd team.com and on twitter at jlarky tweets now ryan we made it through the teams we like and don't like the players we like and don't like this is probably the sexiest question of the show sheet with a unique answer. Who can be this year's Josh Jacobs? I think Steelers running back Najee Harris has the best the best shot to be that. One, we're looking at tremendous volume. Two, Steelers offensive line improved this offseason, which was a big problem last year. Three, he had a list Frank Ash injury that he was coming off last year where he's finished strong, but that impacted him over the course of the whole season. You know, we could be a little concerned about Jalen Warren, but I think the reality is we're looking at an upper middle class version of Zeke and Tony Pollard here where Harris is still going to be the primary ball carrier. Most people are down on him. I really like him as a bell cow running back this year. 